Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. We would like to acknowledge that this podcast maiden is being held on Aboriginal land, the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation. And we would like to pay respect to their eldest past, present and immersion and their multiple birth parents with children with disabilities. And today's episode, we're speaking to the awesome Hannah Diveny. She is a writer, a disability advocate, and the editor-in-chief of Missing Perspectives, a grassroots feminist youth newsroom dedicated to addressing the marginalisation of women and girls. This podcast contains truth, laughter, and the occasional F-word, so it's not really suitable for children. Sometimes you just have to get your shits out. Shit, 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 shit. That's right, this is a language warning. Oh, shit. Hi Mandy, hi Mandy, this week's episode is just we're one pee down, Kate is away um, and so I have just, I've taken over the podcast today and we'll see how that goes without my beautiful um, pee next to me Kate. So uh, I'm thrilled to be speaking to Hannah today, I've been following her on Instagram for a couple of years, she is a powerhouse of a person and um, I'm looking forward to hearing all about her story and introducing her to those of you that might not know about her and I hope that's not many of you, I hope that a lot of Australians and over peas know who Hannah is and you're going to know more about her after this interview. So let's get into it. And I forgot to say that this episode was recorded in August 2022, so it was a few months ago. So excuse me if there's any references to winter and gloominess in Melbourne because it's October now and, you know, weather report for today's episode, well, it's about 18 degrees and cloudy today. So come on spring in Melbourne. We've had a couple of beautiful days, but um, yeah, so that's just just so you know, if you hear me talking about gloomy Melbourne... (laughs) It's because it was in August. Okay, let's go. Today, there is no Kate, so it is one P in a podcast, and I cannot wait to interview Hannah today. I've been following her on Instagram for a couple of years, and I just have loved watching her blossom. We're going to hear all about her story together. And yeah, thank you for sticking by me today with just Mandy by herself. The weather is grey here in Melbourne. We've got sickness in the house. Uh, it's it's just one of those months to endure, I think. So anyway, let's get on with it and let's hear all about Hannah. 
Hi, Hannah. Hi, Mandy. Oh, it's so lovely to meet you. It's so nice to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Oh, I know you had a busy night last night. You were meeting the Australian of the Year. Yeah, it's not every day that that happens, that's for sure. Yeah, how lovely. And and I saw Naz Campanella was there too. Was there lots of people that you got? Uh, yeah, there were there were lots of people that I that I knew or got to know. Um, I, I, I think it was a really uh, special room in terms of like there was lots of media there. So mm. I'm still adjusting to being thought of in that way. So uh, for me, it was a little bit like, what am I doing in this room? Yeah. Um, but yeah, it was good. It was yeah. good. Well, let's get going and get to know you. So one of our first questions is, do you have any music that you love that gets you through the good or the tricky times? Yeah, I I love this question because no one ever asks me about music and I am a massive music fan. Yes. Uh, so for me, one of the artists that I kind of relate to most is probably Taylor Swift. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. But my music taste is super eclectic. Like I grew up listening to like Shania Twain, Fleetwood mm. Mac, like mm. all the Queen, the Eagles, all that kind of stuff. I, my kind of playlists are always a pop, like you, you never really know what you're going to get or what, sh- what shuffle is going to bring like two songs um, next to each other. So yeah, yeah I, I really like all kinds of music. And I think um, people will be glad to know uh, obviously for for other reasons that like I obviously love Lizzo I love Beyonce I yes um a big fan of most types of music yeah mm, yeah well I think most people are that's why we asked the question because we've all got something to say about music yeah yeah terrific. everyone has those songs that um that get them through yeah and remind you of times that you've been through that were either tricky or wonderful like there's all of them yeah absolutely what about any awards? Did you win any awards at school? Um, yeah, probably. I, I won like some drama kind of awards or like uh-huh. o- awards for English and that kind of stuff. Which, considering I'm a writer, is probably a good thing. <laughs> uh, yeah, but I I was a pretty good student, so I tended to get awards for like academic excellence or that yeah. kind of thing. Um, but like outside of that school wasn't necessarily a great mm. environment but for me. It's not a time that I, um, enjoyed a great deal and not something that I would go back to. I'm much happier now that I'm yeah. kind of out, out of that and even out of uni because for me, my uni experience was very rudely interrupted by this COVID. Called COVID. Oh. Yes, of course it was. Yeah. Well, we'll get into that. We will. We will. Later. Um, I want to hear all about that. Um, tell us why you're in the P tribe. Can you tell us a little bit about yourself? Yeah. So I'm in the P tribe because um, of my work as a disability advocate. So if you guys haven't come across me before, um, I have cerebral palsy, which if you don't know, is a physical disability that basically impacts my fine and gross motor skills Hmm. in non-medical English. That means it impacts my ability to do everything from standing, walking and balancing to um, being able to do up the buttons on a shirt or use a knife and fork properly or play a musical instrument 
that kind of thing. Um, and CP exists on something of a spectrum. Mm. Uh, so right down one end, you have people who pretty much you might um, only notice they have it on one side of their body. So yeah. they might limp or they might have a hand that kind of falls into a claw shape or they just walk a little upsided, that kind of thing. And you've got people like me who sit very firmly in the middle mm-hmm. um, where we can obviously, like I, I can move, um, but I need help to do that. So obviously I use a wheelchair and I have a walking frame and a bunch of other equipment that I, mm. that I need. And then right at the other end you have people who pretty much the only things they can do on their own are breathe and swallow. Mm. And sometimes even that's a struggle. Mm. Um, so I guess for broader context, like I, I was born three months earlier than I was supposed to be. Right. So I just, I just celebrated my birthday a few days ago, but it's actually supposed to be in November, not yes. August, um, which is probably quite terrifying for my first time parents. Yes. Um, and basically uh, the doctors, when they were giving like the worst case scenario, because obviously they have to do that um, just so they keep themselves safe from lit- from lit- from litigation and they're not like setting parents up to have expectations that are not going to be met. Um, they basically told my parents that I would never walk, talk or feed myself. Right. Uh, so I take the fact that I have a voice um, as a very literal privilege. Yes. And that is kind of the reason why I am a disability advocate. Mm. Mm. Well, thank you for that explanation. Both of my twin daughters have a hemiplegia. Yes. Palsy, and they were born nine weeks premature. So this is sort of something that Kate and I, when we started the podcast, we wanted to have a voice for parents that were having that had children prematurely, yep. and then had diagnosis because it's a different story to the everyday family and how precious you are. To yeah. Be, yeah. Um. And for me, like I, I was diagnosed straight away because because I was born so early. Yep. The doctors ran a bunch of tests because they're like, mm, probably shouldn't have come out of the womb three months before you yeah. were supposed to. Like something mustn't be right. Yeah. Um, basically, I had a bleed on my brain. Yes. Um, and then they also discovered that I had these cysts or a condition called periventricular leukomalacia, mm-hmm. yep. which we – refer to as PVL because that name is way too complicated to say more than once. My girls have that diagnosis too. And I'm like, that is the longest word I ever read. Yes. So basically what that means for anyone who doesn't know is that somewhere along the way, um, there was something in my brain, like something in my brain that kind of ate away at some of the white matter. Hmm. So I actually have um, holes on both sides Hmm. of my brain. Um, apparently it functioned like a black hole, my, the doctors told my parents, so that when the cysts dissolved, so too did the parts of my brain mm. they were attached to. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously that's a very surreal sci-fi thing to kind of, to kind of try and wrap your head around. Yeah. Um, so it wasn't really something that we knew a lot about until a couple of years ago I had to have an MRI yeah. Um, and we pulled out the scans to look at them and 
we could we could actually see the holes right like, with our untrained medic our medically untrained eyes yeah uh, so that was pretty freaky yeah how did you feel looking at that um well i i mean obviously i i, I know that cerebral palsy causes brain damage like that's it's a brain injury that's what that's why I can't walk. That's why I struggle with the things. But to know that I have even, like, less brain than I'm supposed to, I guess, was, like, really weird. Yeah, I bet. I bet. That is something to see it, isn't it? Yeah. 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 But I think um, for me, I, I the reason I was a, the reason I am able to do um, so much and kind of didn't, necessarily um fulfill that worst case scenario diagnosis is because of early intervention yes i started using therapy services from when i was 12 weeks old right they they knew that i had cp they knew what to do they could get me in there fast like lots of physio ot speech all that stuff yeah so does can your parents tell you have they told you much about that time um yeah they they have told me that it was pretty intense um, that they used to try and coordinate my exercises around my nappy changes. Yeah, right. So, so every nappy change would apparently take like half an hour because they just do the exercises then because they figured I'm lying there in front of them. Yeah, like, yeah. Let's do it now while we have time. Yeah. Um, but for me as a kid, I um, had physio, OT, um, psych- psychological help. Yep. Like uh, – Speech pathology, yep. endless um, appointments at like Westmead Children's Hospital, yes, all of that kind of stuff. Um, but but I'm sure some people will know that for most people who are diagnosed with CP, they might not get di- they might not get diagnosed until they're two, mm. when they don't start meeting their yes developmental milestones of like rolling over, sitting yes. up, talking, walking, doing all the things. Yes. And for some kids. And this blew my mind. They don't even realise until they get to school and, like, they go to race against the other kids and some teacher says, hold on. Yes. That's not. You're walking on your toes or. Yeah. All sorts of things. So yeah. how how did it work for, you, for your girls, if you don't um, Well, they were nine weeks premature and at about four months I could tell because I had twins so I could see one was doing something different to the other. And yeah. so I went to the nurse and said, I think something's going on. And she said, no, she's developing beautifully. But then once we got to eight months, just sort of 10 months, excuse me a minute, here comes the rubbish truck. That's all right. I knew this would happen today. <laughs> anyway, we'll keep going. So um, I went to the maternal and child health nurse and said, she's not using her right side of her body, kind of, like sort of leaning in the high chair, not rolling, all those kinds of things. Yeah. Then we were smack bang into early intervention, all of that stuff. And then her twin was quite similar to what you said. She was nearly two and she was just sort of walking on her toes on her left side of her body. Oh, so wow. It was so very- they're affected on opposite 
Yeah, so I've got a right and a left hemisphere. Right. Yeah. That's so interesting. So, so we had a right AFO and a left AFO. We had four different sizes of shoes because oh my we gosh. had different feet sizes. And yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And when um, we got the first AFO, uh, then when my second daughter got hers, she was so excited to have one to match her twin. Oh, wow. That's so nice. Yeah. Because yeah, she was like, well, why don't I have an AFO? And inside I'm thinking, oh, no, another AFO. How am yeah. I going to do the shoes but whereas she's just like I want to be like my sister yes of course so um yeah so that all is unfolded and um they are who they are one of my daughters has an intellectual disability as well so that we found that out when she was sort of about eight or nine Mm -hmm. so she's at a specialist school um so how how old are your daughters now 17 okay I'm always showing you them on Instagram, showing them you. I'm always like, have a look at Hannah. Look at this. She's on the TV. She's on oh, the TV. That's so oh, good. Yeah. That's that's the reason why I do all the stuff that I do and why I'm um why I force myself to kind of be comfortable with that because yes. I want to make it better for all the disabled kids who come after me. And I think ah. I this might surprise people given how public things have been recently, but I'm actually a pretty introverted mm. person. I tend to not appreciate being the centre of attention. I think it comes from being the centre of attention in ways I didn't like. Yeah. When I was younger, um, because, you know, people stare or um, kids will point and whisper and say, like, what's wrong with you and all of that stuff. Whereas now I'm at a point where if someone does that, I'm like, oh, well, this is what, this is what the situation is, like, come and ask me the question. I tend to get very frustrated if I see a parent try to, like, shush their kid or pull them away or tell them to, like, stop staring or that kind of stuff because I'm like, no, you're robbing them of a teachable moment. Yes, and I'm so the opposite. I'm the annoying parent saying, look, there's a person with AFOs. There's a person in the wheelchair and I'm trying to show my kids that. Yeah, you're like, look. Yeah, so I am always conscious of, like, am I annoying people because I'm trying oh, yeah. to tell my children that there's people, all sorts of different people in this world? Yeah, because I think for me, and I'm not sure, like, obviously I, I'm a little bit older than your girl, so I don't know if it would have changed between when they were growing up and when I was, but I didn't really see um, mm. disabled people no. Except for like in therapy or medical. Yes, at the hospital or, waiting room. Or disability specific like settings like at Cerebral Palsy Alliance or yes. like whatever it might be. Um, and I especially didn't see disabled adults. Yes. So I kind of grew up internalising this thought that like does something happen to you when yeah. you become an adult? If you course. just disappear, what yes. happens? Or does your... Um, cerebral palsy change because a lot of the people that I knew who were adults who had CP coincidentally could walk but also had speech yes. issues, mm. um, like their speech was affected. So I was like, well, hold on. Am I going to be able to walk but suddenly not have, like, full control of what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I'm not sure I want that tra- that okay. trade-off. Like, what's, ha- what's happening now? Of course. Um, uh, yeah, and so it was very kind of disconcerting and I often say to people like um, most people will say like, oh, the future is completely blank, like it's yours to do with with what, it, it's yours to do whatever you want with it. Whereas I would say, yeah, the future is completely blank because I literally 
don't know what if if anything at all goes there so like help please right that is enormous Hannah yeah in terms of thinking about how you've shaped your life so far yeah can we go back a little bit to you as a little girl did you go to kinder mainstream or so so I went um I was lucky enough to go to all mainstream schools yep um some of them were better for me than others. Yeah. Uh, and often it would mean that I would go to schools that were maybe further away or outside the area because they w- were coincidentally like more accepting. Mm-hmm. Or accessible. Um, were they more-, yeah, more accessible, more accepting, more willing to become accessible, yep. more willing to kind of do whatever. Um, whereas uh a lot of schools that were directly local to me um, were either inaccessible and uh, and unwilling to change, or just unwilling to like have a bar of me. Yes. Um, so for me, I first figured out I was different when I was three. Right. I was at daycare, and we were sitting down to lunch. Um, my best friend at the time finished her lunch pushed a chair away from the table and got up to play. Yeah. And I had finished my lunch too and looked at what she was doing and went, okay, well, I want to do that because she's over there playing, so I'll go play with her. Yeah. And I waited and then kind of looked down and was like, hold on, why didn't I just stand up mm. just now? Like mm-hmm. what? Like what? Can't, can't I stand up? Mm. Um, and then like – you know that thing where little kids will like really concentrate on trying to do something that that was me and then I was like wait it's still not yeah it's still not working so like what's what's wrong and I remember um coming home and saying to mum and dad well why don't my legs work like mm-hmm. what's that about yeah. and then being like I have since found out that they were hoping that I would have maybe another year year and a half before you realize um because obviously becoming aware of your um differences i guess at age three is super early yeah they kind of forgot that i (laughs) happen to be one of the most observant like curious little kids on the planet like i was the kind of person who would literally ask questions from the time i got up in the morning to the time i went to sleep um and I was always watching and observing and um, kind of taking things in, in in ways that I don't think people necessarily realised. Mm. And that sort of continued at, as I got older. And obviously, like, when you're a little kid, the play that you engage in is very, is very physical. Yeah. Like you're, you're going on a slippery dip or you're climbing the monkey bars or you're going in the swing or crawling through the ball pit at the fun house or whatever it is. Um, And I was able to do that, but I needed to do that with help. Oh, yeah. Um, I had many time in those tunnels in the playgrounds. Yeah, right. And they're not built for adults. No, and I'd be squashed in there, I'd be sweating, and then there'd be an annoying kid going, why are you girls, why can't they move? And I'd be like. I am moving them. You get out of the way. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That, that sounds very much like my mum. 
But obviously there would be times when my mum was like, I can't do it today. (laughs) This is not like, this is not what I want to be doing. Like, I'm sorry, but this is just not working. (laughs) So I would often have to sit with the adults. Yes. And I think that's part of what has made me a writer, communicative, all of that, because they wouldn't necessarily edit or change their conversations just because I was there. Mm. In fact, sometimes because I'm quite small um, and, like, I wouldn't say much because I'd be embarrassed or I'd be upset that, you know, my friends are playing and I'm sitting here watching, they'd often forget I was there. Yes. So there's probably stuff that my little brain heard that it maybe shouldn't have. I feel guilty. I feel guilty. I think I did that too. <laughs> but it makes it's made me into a better a better adult in terms of like I'm very good at observing people. I yes. I'm very good at picking up on other people's like emotional state. It's made me a great a good writer. It's made me a good advocate. Like I have no trouble striking up a conversation with with anybody yeah um, now yeah what was primary school like I know it was a little bit torturous for my girls at time. yeah primary school was primary school was not pleasant mm. I did you have an aid like what yeah was that yeah like? I had I had an aid and I probably had some of the best teachers I could have had um. in terms of they were very encouraging of the things I could do. Yep. So I so I went to a school um, that somewhat ironically very much rewarded the sporty kids. Yeah. Like the sporty kids were held up on something of a pedestal. They were the popular ones. They were the ones mm-hmm. who got who got called out at assemblies. Blah blah yeah. blah. Uh, and I was there like, well, that's never going to be me. Of course. And also like. I'm not even sure I want it to be me. Yes. Like what? Like, I, like, am I a bad disabled person if I don't want to be a Paralympian? No. Well, that's why we asked the awards um, question because we have a whole episode about how we find them to just be so upsetting and ableist and all of that stuff. Yeah. Or then you have the people who get like the participation awards, and like even as a kid, you're like, well, everyone got an award, so yeah. Like I, like, I remember having that awareness of, like, they just gave me this because I went in it. Yeah. Or, like, they just gave me this because they feel sorry. Yeah. Sorry for me. Yeah. Or or whatever it might be. Um, but I'm really lucky that I had teachers who paid very close attention to the things I was good at. Oh, brilliant. They're the did, best teachers. And did their absolute best to nurture that. So, like, when they figured out that I love to tell stories and that I love to write, they were like, well, let's enter you in writing competitions. Brilliant. Let's have you write extra stories that, like, we can read to the class or, like, different things like that. Or, like, let me give you the the harder books in the library so that you learn, like, different writing styles. Or yes. like, if... If you're a drama kid, if you're a kid who can get up and speak, well, let's put you in the speaking competition. Let's put you in the debating team. Let's put you in. Big. Yeah, that and kind of how, stuff. How did you physically write? Did you type? Did you have a scribe? Can you? Um, so I can write. I, I just get very tired. Right. And it gets messier. 
Yes. Um, the longer I go. And, and if you gave me like a blank piece of paper with no lines on it, my writing tends to kind of go like this. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like <laughs> slopes downwards. Um, but, yeah, I had a scribe and then I very quickly um, learned to type. Ah, really? I, I remember trying out, there's a program called Dragon. Yep. Um, which for anyone who doesn't know is like this dictation software. Yeah, which, we tried it. Which is basically supposed to yes. help you speak and then you type and then it's great, uh, except didn't quite work. The, te- the technology wasn't quite there yet um, back yeah. in like 2008 when I was trying to. Yeah, so did it like the, the iPhone had, had only re- recently come into existence. There was like not very much known about uh, voice recognition software. Um, so I learned to type, but I can only really type with two fingers yep. um, because I don't have the ability to individually move each finger on my hand. Yes. On my hand, I can basically move the first three on their own, but then after that, yep. the other two decide that they need to come and join the party even if I don't want them to. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, I learned to type pretty fast because – Teachers would fill the board and then they'd rub the board off and continue writing. Yes. And you'd be like, okay. Like I remember I had an English teacher in high school who she used to just write maybe like three boardfuls of information and it would be like, oh, God, if if you're not like ready to go and on board, you're going to miss out on what uh, what she's what she's teaching you. So yeah. let's go. Um, but yeah, I did lots of typing practice. Um, that was a big stage of OT that I, yeah, that I went through. Yeah. Different colored keyboards and like trying to teach me, uh, like the layout of a keyboard, which I kind of know, but I still have to look at, like, I can't touch type. Sure. Probably because my brain doesn't trust my fingers to hit the right right keys. I don't think. Did you have any, like you had OT, did you have any like Botox or? Oh, yeah. So Botox Botox was a huge part of my um, childhood. I had from the ages of probably three to eight. I actually still get it now as an adult. Yep. um, Which has been a wonderful sort of thing to come back into my life because there was a period there. I didn't know that I could still have right. where that that wasn't the um, method of treatment, I guess, because they you'd um, stopped growing, perhaps. Yeah, they stopped growing, but I also went through a period of pretty intense, like back to back orthopedic surgery. Going to ask about that, and yeah. they were like, "Yeah, you can't do both." Yes, yes, and I was like, "Oh, okay, cool." What age um, were you when you had your surgeries? So I started having surgery when I was nine, mm-hmm. um, basically went back to back until I was 13. Yeah. And then had another one when I was like 17, 17. So mainly on your legs and your hips. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, so basically like for the first surgery and if if anyone is squeamish perhaps skip over this bit, yeah. basically what they did, they call it multi-level surgery because they do multiple things at once. Yes. Yes. Uh, they broke my femurs. Yep. are the longest bone in your body and supposed yep. to be impossible to break. Yep. My daughter had the osteotomy. Yep. Yeah. They, they break your femurs, rotate them, glue them back together, 
and chuck some metal plates in there. Yep. And then a year later they did the the metal plate um, removal because obviously they don't like you to have those in for yep. longer than a year if they can help it because the human body is not really supposed to have metal in it, especially not when it's growing and yes. changing as much as it is when you're a kid. Yeah. Um, and then I had what they called eight plate surgery, which is like these tiny little figure eight plates put in my knees. Right. Um, and then obviously they did that removal as well, like the following year. Mm. And then um, I had a ductor release mm. surgery, which if people don't know where your adductors are, it's basically your groin mm. muscle. So it's the muscle that allows your legs to open, Yeah. Um, which for me it is a really, really tight muscle. So my knees often end up like this. Yeah, got it. Um, stuck together. Uh, and, and like in terms of Botox, I would get it in my calves, my hamstrings, my adductors, your arms, um, and recently my quad. Right. Okay. So I tend. I I also have um, dystonia as part of my yes, CP, my which dystonia. means that whenever I'm concentrating, talking, moving, my body is spasming slash tensing. Yeah, like I'm probably the only person who's got a quad cramp in a HSC exam before. Yeah, right. I was concentrating so hard. I bet you were. And trying to type so fast. Yeah. But I was then like, ow. Uh, up now. I bet. Oh, I'm not laughing. I'm just. No, like, you, you, can, you can laugh because it's hilarious. And you also, like, there's also a level of like, you get it, so I do. Well, for, as a mum, as an ally, I get it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I have um, seen my daughters go through so much surgery, and um, it's rough to see you yeah. in pain, actually. And I'm sure um, it, it's not. It's nothing on the pain that you were going through yourself. Well, it's also um, like it's not ideal for pe- for parents because you got to sleep on that tiny little fold out. Yeah. It's not really a bed. You don't care. You don't care. You don't. I didn't want to be anywhere else. No, I no, I know. But and especially like for my mum and dad, like I have two younger sisters who are who are able bodied. So there was a lot of like, well, how do we make sure we're still there for them at the same time? Yes. Do all of that kind of thing. Had surgery on the same day when they were six. So we had we decided with the surgeon we would do the surgery at the same time so that one didn't have to watch the other one recover. Oh, good, because that would freak them out about then having the surgery themselves. Yeah, so we have a beautiful photo of them holding hands in the Royal Children's Hospital with their pink and purple cast on and, yeah, yeah, it's really special. Um, It's a special memory even though for me I can't remember any of it. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Say hello to a new era of mental health care. Cerebral is here to help you achieve your mental wellness goals with professional therapy and medication management support. 100% online. You'll experience the all-new Cerebral way, an innovative approach to mental wellness designed around you. You'll get a personalized treatment plan from a therapist, prescriber, or both in a safe and judgment-free space. Your cerebral therapist or prescriber will outline a customized plan with clear milestones along the way, so you can get to feeling your best. With Cerebral, you're not alone in your mental health journey. We're here to empower you to live a fulfilling life. 
So take that first step towards a brighter future and sign up today at Cerebral.com slash podcast and use code ACAST to get 15% off your first month. Offer only valid on monthly plans. Other exclusions may apply. Offer ends July 31st, 2024. See site for details. What about, okay, we got through primary school and I'm sure you could do a podcast for years about that. What about then the years of high school? My goodness. Yeah. High school is tough yes high school is tough for anybody because you're just like a swirling pool of hormones and chaos um and you're desperately trying to fit in yeah it will come as no surprise to people that having cerebral palsy isn't necessarily a recipe for fitting in um and i i had gone through this to some extent in primary school because you know, people were still running around and playing, or they'd or they'd say, um, "Hey, we're we're having a we're, we're having a party, and we wanted to invite you, but mm, we're going roller skating." Or yeah, yeah, or like my parents said, "You can't come over because it would be too hard." Oh, Hannah, or or or, or whatever it might be, which yeah. you know. Perfectly valid, kind of in hindsight, because I because I get it. If you're not sure what to do, the reaction is like to be afraid of it. But when you're a kid, yeah, it's not good enough. No, it's terrible. And we trying to explain that is a bit like uh. So um, yeah, high school was pretty rough in terms of I very much wasn't at the same place as my peers. Like I definitely was. Um, psychologically and emotionally um, and intellectually. Academically, but, academically by the sounds of it. Yeah, and academically, but my body just didn't do the things this could do. Yeah. Um, like I couldn't really do PE or I couldn't really, like I I wasn't a dancer. I, I, I wasn't um, like it took it took me way longer than everyone else to like, get to class because I had to go around the, uh, ha- halfway around the world to get there because I can't just run up a flight of stairs. Yes. Or that kind of thing. Or uh, like even different things like people would have parties and I would be like, well, that's not, that's not happening. Or like my school formals were um, complicated experiences. Hmm. Um, all that kind of thing. What about the day to day? Did you have friends to sit with at lunch? Did sometimes kick off on you? Where sometimes I, I actually found it really hard to make friends as a kid. Yeah, which is probably surprising to people who know me now because they're yeah. like, "How could you have trouble making friends?" Because I talk to everybody. Yeah, and you're, you're a delight. Oh, thank you. Oh, of course you are. Um, but. Yeah, I really struggled. There was a lot of time where I spent time by myself. Yeah. Or yeah. With, uh, with with other kids that teenagers had sort of cruelly deemed, like, uncool, yeah. as it were. Yeah. Because, um, you know, I, I couldn't do the things that they could do, like, when it got to the point where um, – Relationships started entering the picture. Yeah. That wasn't that wasn't a thing that that was happening for me. Like n- 
no one was ever going to be ever going to be interested in that at, at a teenage level. Yes. Um, sometimes boys would do the very needlessly cruel thing of asking me out as a joke. Oh, Hannah. Um, which is not not something I enjoyed. No. Funnily enough. Um, but I also like didn't really like clothes. I didn't really like I. I was very self-conscious um, and had and had a lot of, like, unresolved body image issues because my body didn't look like yeah. anyone else's. It curved in the wrong places. It yeah. looked lopsided. It looks like, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, h- high school was really, really tough. Yeah. Um, and I'm glad I made it through. Yeah. Because there were periods there where... That wasn't necessarily a given, mm. um, especially like year eleven and twelve. I kind of had a breakdown. I bet um, that there was a lot going on, uh, and I just all I all I wanted was to find my people, and I just they weren't there. No, and now they are. Yeah, and even so, my brain sort of has to learn that it's not. It's not in the same place as it was then because yes. it's so used to that. It sometimes catches me off guard having people who actually want to be my friend. Yeah, I understand. Well, it's a preservation, isn't it? Yeah. Like yeah. I don't want to get hurt again. I've been hurt so many times. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. yep. And it's not good enough world and that's why we talk, right? So that Yeah, absolutely. And we can teach our kids and we can say, you're missing out. You are missing out on being friends with Hannah. You idiots! <laughs> yeah, and we I think say that things, as mums, we like, can say that as mums. Whenever kids see anything that's different, their immediate reaction and, and what they're taught to feel is to be scared of it. Yeah, yeah, or to be confused, which is why I am so passionate about increasing the visibility of yes. disabled people for children, and that's why. I, Campaign so hard for a disabled Disney princess, for for instance. Yes, let it talk about that. I think that's where I found you because I was my family. There's three daughters. We we've sung every Disney song, and I think that's how I came across you a couple of years ago. And I signed the petition straight away. Tell yeah. us how that have started. So basically, um, this won't come as a surprise to you, but I grew up not seeing anyone who looked like me. Of in the movies, TV, books I read, toys I played with, all of that kind of stuff, there was nobody. And that sort of leaves a giant hole mm. in you. Mm. Uh, and then I remember that uh, I, I'm not sure if you're – actually, no, y- your girls wouldn't have been old enough to watch Glee, but there was a show called Glee. I've watched it since. Yes. One of them's watched so, it yep. Um. When I saw the character of Artie, yeah. I remember being so excited because I was like, oh, my God, he's in a wheelchair. He yes. can, he's doing drama. He's singing. He's performing. He has friends. Like, look, he's falling in love. Like, all of this stuff. Wow, that's so amazing. And then there's a scene, I think it might be in season two, where there's some sort of dream sequence. Yes. And Artie gets up to dance. I remember that. Yep. And I remember being like, Oh, oh, wait, so he's not disabled. Mm. Like he's just playing my life like a kid. Yes. That's, 
How did that feel? Oh, that didn't feel good. That was like, well, why didn't they find a disabled actor to I do it? I don't know. What are you talking like? What are you talking about? Surely there are disabled actors out there. Um, okay. So yeah, the the Disney Princess thing had been brewing for a number of years, kind of based on the fact that I had no representation or or the representation that I'd had seen wasn't really accurate. Um, and then in 2015, I went to see the Pixar film Inside Out. Yeah. Which, if you haven't seen it, please do because it is a lovely, nuanced portrait of mental health and mental illness in a a children's film. And I remember sitting there thinking, wow, that's pretty high concept for a kid's film. Like, these aren't necessarily things that you would think automatically, oh, they're they're going to work really well in in a kid's film. Mm -hmm. So I thought, well, it's not so much of a hop, skip and a jump to a disabled character then yes. maybe if, if they're willing to make this kind of film. So I wrote Disney an open letter um, that I actually physically mailed to Burbank, California. Right. And also posted online. Uh, it got picked up by a few different things, but um, nothing really happened. I never heard back. And then obviously like school ramped up and then I was f- focusing on finding my feet at uni and just sort of, figuring out what the heck was going on. But the, but the idea was always sort of still in the back of my brain. And then um, basically in September of 2020, that was when I started to become a disability advocate with a public profile. Like I wrote an article for the ABC and then the writing just sort of just kept happening. Um, and I noticed around December of that year um, that people were having a lot of conversations about representation in films mm. pretty much off the back of um, the Australian musician Sears decision to release a film called music, which yes. was really harmful in its portrayal of the autistic community yes. and basically didn't involve consultation with any lived experience or yes. that kind of thing. Like it just was a disaster. Um, and that led to people talking about, this phenomenon that the disabled community calls cripping up, which is the idea that in Hollywood, if you want to take a shortcut, if there can be such a thing, to sort of awards success, then you do that as a disabled character because of the level of physical, emotional, psychological transformation. Mm. Um, and obviously there are some cases where getting disabled actors to play disabled roles isn't realistic. Like I'm thinking of that film, um, The Theory of Everything, about Stephen Hawking, and it wouldn't yes. it wouldn't necessarily work to have actors with motor neuron disease play Stephen Hawking because the way that that disease works is kind of you, 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 you obviously get degeneratively worse and that that would be hard to show and capture on film and like you'd have to change actors and there's I could see why why Hollywood might have struggled to wrap its head around that one um, because there's just a few logistical things but yeah basically I I launched the petition uh through change.org after talking to a bunch of disability advocates that I've been lucky enough to connect with online uh December 3rd 2020 so it was international day Yes. Disabilities, which happens every December 3rd. Yeah. Um, 
And we've been going for almost two years now. We have over 60,000 signatures and support from some really incredible people, including people like Reese Witherspoon, Blake Lively, Mark Hamill. Um, And uh, recently we've had the very exciting kind of thing of Disney themselves um, addressing the um, the conversation. Um, they gave a statement to the Australian Women's Weekly when yeah. I was profiled yeah. in there in, in last in the September issue, mm. um, and that was a complete surprise to me. Like I didn't know they were giving them a statement until wow. I opened the magazine and started reading. And went, oh, they do know who I am. Incredible! That was a stunning, stunning. Thank you. All them photos and oh my goodness. Thank you. What a time! It's definitely been. Um, like the last 12 months especially, have been something of a whirlwind, that's for yes. sure. Yes. How have you been handling that? Um, trying to take it day by day as much as I can, which isn't necessarily easy because um, as a result of having cerebral palsy and all of the, like, stuff that that puts you through, I also have, like, generalised anxiety disorder mm-hmm. and clinical um, depression. Mm-hmm. So managing my mental health is something mm-hmm. that, takes a lot of work it's yeah. not something that I can kind of be be passive about mm-hmm. um and it's not necessarily always the happiest when I am a super public as I have been recently like yes. the whole experience of going viral with Lizzo and then repeating it on an even bigger scale uh six weeks later with Beyonce has been a bit of a head spin but yeah, um, I was worried so about you. I'm handling it yeah. Tell us a little bit what happened with Lizzo for people that don't know. So basically um, about two months ago, Lizzo released a new song called Girls, which is off her second album. Um, and in it she used the ableist slur spaz, which is obviously short for spastic, mm-hmm. and in the context of cerebral palsy yeah, um, refers to spasticity, yep. which is basically like a constant uh, – unending quite painful tightness um in my legs and kind of all all over my body really yes. it doesn't have to be triggered by anything specific is literally always there so yes. it, so even right now while I'm talking to you obviously yep. I can feel it doing what it does yeah. um and unfortunately like in terms of the timing of both of these events happening it tends to flare up in the winter like my body yeah. does not handle the cold very well oh. I much prefer the summer mm. um but yeah basically Lizzo used the word spaz, I was like, mm, that doesn't really gel with what I know of Lizzo. Like she's very intersectional. She yeah. occupies really important spaces for marginalised communities. Um, but I ha- I ha- heard about it basically because other disabled advocates that I follow um, were tweeting about it. So I went and listened to the song and then wrote a tweet in kind of less than five minutes, didn't think much of it, just sort of explained gently but firmly, like, the situation, posted on Instagram and then went back to my day. Um, And within minutes my phone was buzzing so much that I had to mute. Oh, my goodness. My phone and I was like, hmm, that's interesting. Like, I've had tweets get attention before but but this seemed a bit strange. Like it's not, it's not really very normal. Um, 
like I've tweeted thousands of times about different things. Yeah. Um, but I've never had a tweet like do what this one did. And basically as soon as I started getting trolled, yeah. about it, that was actually when I was like, oh, okay, oh. this is a bigger yes. this is a bigger thing now. Because I think for me I, I always try and take trolling as a sort of um, twisted compliment, I guess. Yep. Because to me it means I've made it outside the echo chamber of people who are always going to be telling me I'm doing yeah, a good job. That's right. Got and it. then I'm actually making a difference when I start getting trolls. Yeah, right. Yep. So that started happening and I was like, oh, wow, okay, this this is happening on a much bigger scale than I'm used to. Like I'd, ha- I'd had a bit of trolling with the Disney Princess campaign and stuff, but this is happening on my Instagram, my Twitter, my emails. Like okay. it's coming from everywhere. Yeah. And I was like, okay, we've probably got to a point where, where someone connected to Lizzo is going to see yes. tweet. So she'll probably be aware of it, but, like, I wonder what the next step yeah. is going to be because I have to be honest, like, in, in a world of, I guess, celebrity apology, mm. we're pretty used to people doubling down, getting defensive, arguing that that's not what they meant, yeah, putting it back on the marginalised community who has asked them to do better, all of that kind of stuff. So I, so I was quite nervous that if Lizzo responded, it was going to be too bad. I'm changing it. A little u- ugly. Yeah. Um, but to find out from my friends who were like constantly tagging me on Instagram being like, she's changing it all in capital letters and to was incredibly amazing. gracious statement where she kind of bypassed all of those negative feelings we've come to expect yes. and went straight to, oh, okay, well, I didn't know that word was harmful. Thanks for telling me, like, I, I won't use it. I appreciate the teaching moment. Um, like, well, I'm just going to re- re-release the song. It was incredible. That was kind of a masterclass in how to be an, in how to be an ally. Yeah. You know, yes. Um, and then obviously the world's media was like, who are you and what did you do to get Lizzo to change <laughs> this, this lyric? Like, it was very surreal to suddenly have emails from like the BBC and the New York yes. Times. And yes. You're like, wait, are you a real New York Times journalist? Like you mean the, you mean the actual New York Times, like the yes. famous newspaper that everybody reads, right? Oh, oh wow. Okay. Um, uh, and to be honest, the trolling got worse once she changed the lyric because people yeah. were really unhappy that yeah. she reacted that way. They felt like I was policing her use of language or um, that I, because I happen to be white. Yes. I happens to be a woman of colour. Yes. Um, taking a racist angle. Yes, I saw all that. Yep. Yeah, that was that was pleasant to read. Oh. Um, but then basically that started to die down and I was like, okay, right. we're just starting to um, to to get this under control like things are coming down because basically just before the Lizzo situation was when I finished filming the show um, Latecomers, which will be out later in the year. So everything has kind of just been a complete domino effect over the last few months. Um, Then six weeks later to have someone tag me on Twitter and say, hey, well, are you going to call out Beyonce now? And me being like, wait, what? What? And then like, 
going through Beyonce's lyrics at like a million miles an hour trying to find what the heck they were talking about. Um, and then like realizing that she'd used the same slur um, was honestly pretty frustrating and confusing because I couldn't really work out how her, someone in her team, because I know she had many, many people hadn't seen the Lizzo situation because it's not, it's not as though that happened quietly or no. that it happened in a vacuum. No. Um, so I couldn't really work out how they hadn't foreseen that if they kept that word in the song, they'd run into the same problem. Mm. Um, but the decision to call out Beyonce felt like an even bigger one because, I mean, she's Beyonce. Yeah. And I also was very aware that she has one of the most passionate fan bases in the world. So in doing that, I had to, like, really be sure that I wanted to to do to, that. To put that on myself and to bring yes. that um, into my every inbox, I guess. Um, and then I obviously contacted all the media who had covered the Lizzo situation and said, "Look, I'm sorry to be the the annoying like girl who's coming back with the same story, but can you believe this has happened again? Like, oh my gosh, what's going on?" Um, and more media covered it than the last time and it got to the point where I was like okay this is going viral again this is very strange to be going viral for the exact same thing yeah twice. yes but if I had to guess probably Beyonce is not going to change it because you know she's Beyonce she curates this very enigmatic mysterious I only ever come out on my terms I only ever yes. with exactly what I want to persona which is obviously her right after decades in the music industry and it's how she maintains her privacy against like celebrity culture and paparazzi intrusiveness and all of that but she puts out a very different kind of vibe I guess to Lizzo who seems very approachable and accessible and all of that mm-hmm. stuff yeah. um so I had just finished saying like the day before oh I I don't think we're gonna hear anything but like we'll see what happens and then I woke up like 7 a.m on a Tuesday picked up my phone for some reason and there were just the these all caps messages being like, she's going to change it, she's, <laughs> changing, she's changing it, you, you've got to Beyonce. And then my phone started ringing and I think I must have done something like 20 interviews that day or something. Uh, I, I reckon I talked for 12 hours straight pretty much. Wow. Um, and then, of course, like the the trolling from – the Beyonce situation was a lot more aggressive because again, I knew that Beyonce is one of the biggest stars in the world and she doesn't breathe without people writing a think piece about it. Yeah. So, yeah. That's been a really um, intense experience. And obviously like calling out pop stars for the use of ableist slurs is not where I expected no. my, my advocacy to go. I didn't, I, I, I've known for a long time that if I continued to be a really loud advocate that, like, eventually something would kind of break through. I didn't think it would be this. Mm. Uh, it was only supposed to happen once and yes. it's happened, like, four times. Yes. Uh, in the last little while. Yes. Um, which has now led to people assuming that I will be calling out every Everything. potential <laughs> word that could be construed as ableist in pop music ever and it's like mm, that wasn't no, really the point that. no 
Well, I just want to say personally, thank you. As a mum that was just sitting in her house down here in Melbourne, watching you do that on behalf of my girls that you don't even know, I'm so grateful because those words are derogatory and slurs on my precious children. And so I just want to thank you because I know I was watching the toll and I was worried about you as a mum, right? So I just want to thank you for taking that on and you don't have to do it ever again for my children. (laughs) I don't, you know, I'm just grateful for you for doing that. Thank you. That means a lot. Yeah. And that's why, that's why I did it. Yeah, well, thank not you. Not to get the profile, not to not of to become not. publicly notorious, not to become, not to have my name featured in every news article connected to a pop culture moment. Like I love consuming pop culture, but I didn't. Yes, I didn't ever think I would actually be pop culture. That wasn't the plan. Of course not. Even when we just started our podcast, we thought thirty people would listen. We didn't think we'd still be doing this three and a half years later, right? So, yeah. No, we didn't expect this. We didn't. We just thought we would share a little bit of our story. And so, but then sometimes if the universe says, okay, go, then you, you know, you're, you just have to go. You just have to go, right? And so now you've been in Women's Weekly, your TV show. I want to hear about Missing Perspectives. Tell me about that. Okay. So, Missing Perspectives is yet another feather in my cap. Yeah. Um, it is something I am the, the editor in chief of. And it's basically a feminist, like a, a youthful feminist um, global newsroom that's all done at the grassroots level, which addresses the marginalization of women and girls around the world. Yes. So basically, it was started um, by a friend of mine, Phoebe St. who um, was working in Canberra and happened to be rooming with a political correspondent. Mm. And just the conversations that they were having about the ways in which female journalists were treated in newsrooms, Mm. the way the stories they wanted to tell were often ignored or not picked up or the way that like the men, the men would get the more interesting kind of meaty stuff and all of that kind of thing. And Phoebe, who is very much a person of action went, well, surely there's got to be a newsroom for young women somewhere. Yes. And couldn't find it, and then went, oh, well, I'll make one then. Um, and for me, I was only ever supposed to be writing one one article. We knew each other because her mum had taught me at primary school oh. and, like all good teachers, had kept tabs on me. So yeah. that's how we were introduced. Yeah. Um, but because Phoebe didn't really have any of the um, editorial experience that I'd been lucky enough to to garner, like I – started I the first my first job in media was when I was 15 I worked for Mamma Mia for a year yeah um which was a very steep learning curve when when you're 15 um but basically I I'd been a freelance writer for a couple of years like I observed other people's editorial strategies I knew what to do like all that kind of thing so I was like sure we'll just figure this out as we go um it will probably be a slow burn. Like it might take a while for people to get on board with this because even though we know we've got, we've got a good idea, we also know that the world can be notoriously resistant to uh, change and especially yeah. like a shaking up of the status quo. Um, well, we've been around for over a year now and we've got readers in 
over 100 countries uh, and contributors from over 50. And 95% of our pieces are opinion-based and they're written by people who have lived experience of the issue mm-hmm. they're writing about because we believe, unlike traditional media for some very strange reason, that lived experience has as much value, if not more, than um, than someone coming in and trying to observe from the outside. Of course. It's the authenticity the world is screaming for. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, right. Wow, that is just brilliant. And I can imagine you're super proud of that. I am. Yeah, yeah. And I'm also super proud of that because while it does intersect with my disability work and I do a lot of um, specific featuring or, or amplifying of disabled voices on that platform, it's not just about yes. disability. Because I define myself as a disability advocate because um, I am obviously a disabled person, I think sometimes people can pigeonhole me. Yes. And, and they forget that, like, while my disability defines who I am, it's not all of me. Mm. Like, there are plenty of other layers yes. of me as a person that we can explore, that I can speak to, that I can, like, be be in the public eye for. I, I don't just have to be, like, the girl wheeled out on stage um, to kind of. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Well, we are cheering you on with that. We'll be linking everything everywhere. Thank so you. P-Tribe can go and follow you. I would love that. Two more questions I want to ask. One is from a mum to daughters with cerebral palsy. What is something that I can learn from the way that your parents have have approached your life? Well, when I was a little kid, all I wanted was not to be disabled, right? That was clearly the thing that I most wanted to change about myself because I didn't like it. I... I pretty well learned to hate myself, I guess, as a kid. Um, Through no fault of my parents or or anyone else around me, it just was how it was. Mm. Um, And I remember one day my parents sat me down and they said, okay, so if someone came up to you right now and said, like, we can change it, would you want them to change it? And I went, yeah, of course. And they said, well, okay, but, like, be warned if if they change it, like, you don't have these people in your life, you don't have this, you don't have that. Like, there's no guarantee that you would be exactly, that that would be the one thing that changed. It, mm-hmm. it can't. So, yeah. like, please understand that, like, everything that happens in your life ends up being linked. Mm-hmm. So if you change this one thing, it would have a domino effect mm-hmm. and change a lot of stuff. And that was like, oh, oh, well, I don't want all of those things to change. Yeah. So I guess I better figure out a way to make this work as as hard as hard as that is, and it it was definitely not like kind of a one and done conversation. It was something that my parents had to keep yeah referring back to and keep reminding me of, especially when I was a teenager and just couldn't just was like very angry at the world. Yes. Um, but eventually we we got to a point where I was like. Oh, I get it now. Uh, I'm like, you mean if I keep 
um, trying to reach an able-bodied standard of something or other, I'm automatically setting myself up to fail because no matter how hard I try, I'm never going to be able-bodied. Like, oh, I get that. Okay, let's not do that anymore then. Yeah, yeah, right. It's good. It's good for us all to hear. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I've I've cuddled and cried many times with my one of my daughters. I want. I wish I was normal. I wish I didn't have cerebral palsy. I wish I could go to a normal school, like whatever the word she uses. Um, and yeah, as a mum, I've just had to learn to sit with that. Yeah, or like, why do I get so tired all the time? Why can't I? Yes. Just have as much energy as the other kids. And that's something else I used to do. I had such a fear of missing out. Yes. Such a fear of being thought of as more different than I already was mm-hmm. that I would often ignore my what my body needed from me. Yes. Um, in order to just keep going. And it wasn't until I got to, to year 11 and 12 um, and obviously the workload went through the roof mm-hmm. and my body went, nah. Yeah. If we're going to do this, you have to rest now. You have to rest, yeah. And yeah. it's like the idea that lo- that learning that rest is not actually like a weakness. No, and it's not failure. No. It's actually like a really smart way of listening to your body. Yes. Is another huge lesson that I wish l- little me had been able to understand. Yeah, I think I, I definitely was pushing – school and then we're going to go to girl guides and then we're going to go to you know we're going to do swimming and then we've got to do physio and OT and speech and da 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 and then once I think we got to after we had a big surgery in year seven then I realized school is enough dealing with school all day there's nothing much left for her afterwards she needs to rest and it's taken so much pressure off her and me in trying to get her to keep up with people or whatever um, yeah. and realizing that going to school every day is more than enough. Yep. Yeah, yeah. So what about, okay, have we missed anything that you want to tell the world? Um, no, I think you've covered me pretty pretty well. The only other thing I will tell people is that I will be in a show called Latecomers yes. on SBS, which okay. will be coming out later this year. Yep. Um, it's actually an acting role, so it's um, basically it's Unfortunately, it's not a program that will be suitable for little that's little okay. eyes. Yeah, um, right. but it is a comedy drama uh, where the two main characters have cerebral palsy. Oh. Um, they're strangers to each other, but then they meet and sort of get stuck together when their carers hook up at a bar and oh, chaos. That sounds amazing. Use. So yeah. If everybody could keep an eye out for that, yes, and come and follow like missing perspectives and engage with our work and do all of those things, yes. that would be great. But yeah, that's that's all. Oh, I can't wait to watch that, and I will be sitting down with my daughters to watch that. That is going to be so terrific. Cool. Oh, Hannah, thank you so much for your generous time today. Thank you so much for having me, Mandy. I really, really appreciate it. Oh, I've just loved meeting. Personally, I'm just so thrilled to meet you and I'm emotional in what a terrific job you're doing in this world and paving the way for my family. So congratulations on everything. Keep shining. You're a delight to this world and I'm, I'm proud to have met you today. Yeah, it's been great to meet you. 
Oh, thank you. Oh, wasn't Hannah terrific to speak to? I'm so privileged to be able to speak to people like Hannah and spend some time with her and to learn from her. And every time, every week when we're doing this podcast, there is something that I take away that I think I can do better. I can improve myself. I can be a better person in this world. I can be a better mother. And so thank you, Hannah, for giving me those gifts today. I'm really thankful um, that you gave your time to us. So thank you so much. Okay, today I'm going to do Cry Make a Difference Laugh by myself. Uh, So I am going to say that I had a little cry this week because we've had a lot of sickness in our house. So um, it's August in Melbourne. It's, you know, if you're not lucky enough to get away, it's a time to just endure and buckle down. It's very grey and wet and cold and spring you know, you can feel it that it's going that it's around the corner. But this is a time when my family generally is quite sick, and this is the first winter after two years living in Melbourne that we've sort of had lots of germs. So, um, yeah, I haven't cried, but I've been a bit flat about that and worried, I suppose. Um, make a difference. This is probably, uh, you know, when this comes out. Uh, we will be getting closer to our lunch, which is happening on the 10th of September at the Fentrigalli Hotel at Feast with beautiful Jackie, my friend Jackie, um, who's hosting our pea lunch. So I just want to shout out to Robin and Catherine, two women that have gifted six tickets each. We've been giving them away in the hangout. So there's people that can come because you two women have generously paid for their tickets. So thank you very much. And I can't wait to see everybody there. I'm going to be getting in those tunnels. I'm going to be pushing children through them if they want to be playing in there. And um, yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing you all. So that is a huge make a difference. Plus, I also want to say a big shout out to a beautiful person called Kaz who listens to our podcast. She came up to me at Netball a couple of weeks ago and we had a big hug and it's just really incredible to meet peas in the wild and for them to, um, you know, for me to meet them, especially I'm just standing there at Netball and it was lovely. So thank you, Kaz. Thanks for coming up and saying hi and thank you for being a pea listener. And a laugh, okay, a big laugh was in the hangout. This beautiful mum popped up on the hangout as anybody else's pea shoot bought a puppy today. (laughs) And it was just such an excellent thread and everybody was just joining in on like, what are we going to do? The internet, there's so many wild and wacky ways that our pea shoots can um, spend money. So um, I just want to thank you. That really made me laugh a lot. And I think the puppy has gone to a new home and it's all been sorted out um, kindly, but it did make me laugh a lot. So, okay. Anyway, thank you. Thanks for today's episode from the One Pea in a Podcast. And uh, we will see you next week. Rate and review. I love reading those reviews. Send us speak pipes. We love hearing from you. You can email us and, uh, yep, you can buy our book. You can ask us for booklets and um, I'll send them out. And anyway, we'll be back to normal Kate and Mandy next week. Okay, bye. Bye.